Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Podcast. I am Casey Thomas and today I'm answering one of your questions. Someone shot me a message and asked, should I be eating for my genotype? So today I want to tackle that topic and hopefully give you a good answer. (laughs) Before I do, please be sure to leave me a rating and review. It does help me out a whole lot. And also subscribe because I really do have so much more in store for you. So let's get right into it. There are a lot of companies now claiming that they can basically prescribe you a diet if you send them your DNA report. And just as a quick little caveat, um, I do offer as part of my private practice a nutrigenomic assessment. And so even though I might have a slight you know, financial conflict of interest here, what I'm going to talk to you about today uh, maybe will surprise you because overall I'm pretty negative on the whole thing. Okay. So anyway, let, let's get into it. To give you a little background information, you are 99.9% genetically identical to even the most different human that you can imagine. Okay. There is only a 0.1% at most difference, and that accounts for the huge variability that you see between all of the humans across the planet. And this genetic variance is a good thing, okay? Uh, Without it, humans wouldn't have the capacity to evolve. We would just be all clones of each other, and there would be nothing uh, that would be advantageous or disadvantageous in the population. The good genes, you know, they get passed on and the bad genes, they get weeded out. And over time, you see an improvement. Um, It it would also be incredibly boring if everybody was, in fact, a clone of each other, I think. (laughs) So in addition to that, you get two copies of a gene. Okay, so you get one copy from mom and one copy from dad. And the two copies can be the same. And in, you know, the science, we call that homozygous. Or those two copies can be different, in which case we call that heterozygous. When the two copies are different, usually one of those is dominant to the other one. Okay, so we might call it a dominant and a recessive gene. And so so what does that mean? Um, If you inherited, say, the gene for blue eyes from your mom, you inherited the gene for brown eyes from your dad, you'd have brown eyes. Okay, you're not going to have some weird blue-brown hybrid, all right? The, the body will express whatever the dominant copy of the gene is that you get in the event that you have two different copies. So getting back to the question at hand, though, should you be eating for your genotype? And this question presupposes that some genes are better suited to a particular dietary pattern than others. And in, in uh, broad strokes, that is true. Okay, there are some genes that are better suited to particular dietary patterns. However, most people take it to mean that there are specific genes linked with specific foods, uh, which is completely false. We do not have a banana gene or a pistachio gene or a chicken gene. Okay, and let me tell you right now, it is impossible. It is completely impossible right now to look at someone's DNA report and prescribe a specific diet. Anyone who makes that claim is just lying straight to your face, all right? And the 
<laughs> the big companies that are offering this, they know that too. And I've ordered some of these reports just to kind of get a feel for what they're doing. Um, and their prescriptions usually include blanket recommendations that could apply to anyone. So here's, here's an example of one of the reports that I was given for my own DNA. Okay. And I'm not going to say which company it was, but here's, here's what they prescribed. So they said, People with your genetic results tend to have a similar BMI on diets with greater or less than 22 grams of saturated fat per day, as long as they consume the same number of total calories. However, diets high in saturated fat have been associated with increased LDL, which is your bad cholesterol, uh, which is a risk factor for, for heart disease. And then they go on to say what you can do. They say, limit your saturated fat intake. It may not have a large effect on your weight, but it's important for reducing your risk of heart disease. Okay, and so that's that's what they told me. And so basically what they said was it didn't matter for my genetics, right? They said people with your genetic results tend to have a similar BMI on diets with greater or less than 22 grams of saturated fat per day. So my genes, it doesn't matter whether or not you're having more or less of the fat. Um, they went on to cite generic research against saturated fat. You know, they said diets high in saturated fats have been associated, not caused, but associated with increased LDL, right? And then they conclude that I should limit my saturated fat intake, despite previously saying it didn't matter at all for me. So this questionable logic aside, this guideline is actually less specific than a standard, you know, governmental or, for example, you know, the US, USA MyPlate recommendation. The MyPlate at least tells you to limit, uh, to limit saturated fat to less than 10% of your total calories. And you would think that a personalized recommendation from your DNA would be at least as specific as very basic standard generic government guidelines. And they didn't even do that. Okay. So let me repeat what I said before. It is currently impossible to prescribe a diet based on your DNA alone. There are simply too many other factors that need to be considered. So there are things like epigenetic modifiers. Those are things that sit on top of your DNA and modify your DNA. Okay. Those are actually inheritable. So I can pass on epigenetics to my children. Uh, and it has nothing to do with DNA other than just being. In and around the DNA. There's things like your gut microbiome that need to be considered, okay? That has a huge impact on how your body is processing the foodstuffs that enter. Uh, and you also have to factor in how all the different pieces of your physiology are interacting, okay? In addition to, to these factors, humans are built with a bunch of redundant systems in order to ensure survival. Okay, so uh, we mentioned you get two copies of your genes from mom and dad, right? If you have one bad copy, the other copy can normally make up for it. Okay, it's a it's a it's a it's a backup system. And even if you have two two bad copies of a gene, usually there's another gene or another process that can actually compensate for that too. And if it couldn't compensate, then that gene wouldn't be in the population right now because everybody who had it would have died off a long time ago. Right? That's how evolution works. So um, researchers are still trying to work to fit all these different pieces together. And I do truly believe that in a couple decades, we will be able to create, you know, accurate individualized diets from a comprehensive analysis that factors in all of these other variables. Okay. Not just looking at simply DNA right now. So is there any value in looking at your DNA right now? And I think there is. 
I think there is some value, which is why I offer it in my private practice. I will admit that it is more of an interest than a practical value. It's kind of like when you get your generic DNA report, you know, it's fun to see where you came from. And it's fun to see that they rightly predicted, you know, that you'd have hazel eyes. But let's be honest, you already knew you had hazel eyes because you've been looking in a mirror, (laughs) right? So it didn't really uh, provide you anything novel. It just was kind of interesting. On the nutrition side, we do know that there are key genes that regulate micronutrients and drug processing. And so what this means is that you can look at how well your body absorbs, you know, say vitamin B12 from the gut, or how well your body converts plant omega-3s to fish omega-3s, or maybe how well your body converts beta carotene into vitamin A. And so if you had two copies of a gene that are bad at absorbing vitamin B12 from the gut, you are at risk for vitamin B12 deficiency. But here's the catch, okay? You don't care about being at increased risk for vitamin B12 deficiency, right? What you care about is actually being vitamin B12 deficient. And how do you know that? You go get some labs, okay? (laughs) So if your B12 levels are fine, then who cares what your genes say because your body is clearly compensating for that. And if you ask me about this topic maybe five years ago, I probably would have been more excited. Studies were coming out saying we could improve weight loss uh, by putting people on either a low-carb or a low-fat diet based on their genotype, and that was really promising. Um, However, there was a more recent study that came out in 2018 by Gardner, and that kind of dispelled those hopes, and that was a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, They had over 600 people in a 12-month program, and they were not able to see any association between diet effectiveness and genotype. And what they did was they compared low-carb to low-fat. However, there is one dietary pattern which is still supported by the nutrigenomic literature. And if you are at risk for being obese, so if you have two copies of this, you know, they call it like the obesity gene, it's the FTO gene. You can consume a high-protein diet for improved diet effectiveness. That's interesting. It might not be practically useful, though, because you should already be consuming a high-protein diet when trying to lose weight. It helps you retain all of that lean tissue. If you want to eat based on your genotype, here's what you do. Look to your ancestors. Okay, This is a much easier way to do it. Figure out where you descend from. For me, that would be Northern Europe. Look at the local food and look at the seasonal variation. Figure out what your ancestors ate and then copy them. Okay, that's going to be as close an approximation as you can get to eating based on your genotype. Now, I know this week we didn't talk too much about specifically brain performance, but do keep in mind that diet, your overall dietary pattern is going to dictate how your body is doing, including your brain. And so if you have a dietary pattern that is supportive of your body and your mind and your health, then that will naturally increase your brain performance. And we talked in previous episodes about, you know, these low hanging fruit stuffs, you have to get all this taken into account before you start looking for some of the supplements that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. So I think this was a good reminder. I think this was an appropriate time to address this question. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll kind of leave it there. Um, I am very optimistic that in the future, we'll be able to have a little bit more specific recommendations based off of genotype, as well as other factors when you have this comprehensive analysis. But right now, this is kind of where we're at. It's a little bit disappointing.
outside of being, you know, of interest. And it can be helpful in some very high-performing individuals. So uh, with that, shoot me a message. Tell me what your ancestors ate. I'm curious. I love talking about food in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> uh, I want to sincerely thank you for taking some time to listen to me today. Um, I know you have a lot of other obligations, and I love that you wanted to take a few minutes to listen to me. So we'll be back at it next week. If you can, please leave me a rating and review. Let me know what you thought about this question, which came from you guys. Um, and if you have any other questions, I'd love to to tackle those as well. If you can also subscribe, that will let you know when the next episodes are live. So with that, we'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.